This time on Watchers of Tomorrow, Ian, the radioactive baby, pays a visit. Welcome to Watchers of Tomorrow, the sci-fi review and critique show that's kind of like Immaculate Conception, but worse. I am Gip, and I'm joined as always by my friend and co-host, Dr. Izix. Hi! And this week we get to start season two, which um, there's some debate. A lot of people think it is the worst season, but it's still an improvement over season one. Uh, there's there's good episodes in this one, though. You get to You get to some good stuff now. Yeah, I would say that, uh, in fact, uh, you know, though this episode overall is, well, kind of crap, uh, there is actually some really good stuff that goes on in this, uh, kind of with the early parts of the episode specifically, because we get, uh, you know, some nice, this is how things have changed. We've uh, maybe updated or expanded our sets a little bit, the lighting's slightly better. People got maybe some better looking costumes or changes up there and all these little things that are just kind of like, yeah, it's just a little bit more shiny. Yeah, we're starting to introduce the stuff that people remember as Next Generation to the point where if you go back and watch the first season, you keep having to remind yourself that, yes, it did change significantly. It's still not fully found its feet, but it's getting there. Season three is when you get the full on. Of course, this is what's what next generation was always going to be. <laughs> I, I guess uh, for uh, you know this uh, you know this I guess transition a uh, sort of period here. We are getting settled in, but there's still so much that is kind of I guess new at this particular episode that it's kind of like a blast of fresh air, kind of. <laughs> some of it yeah yes <laughs> and then the episode happens and you're like oh <laughs> yeah this episode i cannot believe they started a season with mm-hmm. why <laughs> do you want to r- run your uh, uh audience away because <laughs> this is how you do that i will i kind of see for reasons that we'll get into in a second i see why they needed to do something with a slight medical focus to introduce some stuff, but this is still... I mean, for some reason, people keep thinking this is a good idea. And it's never a good idea. I know Star Trek, the original series, kind of kicked off with, you know, uh, you know McCoy being a regular character. And so it's kind of traditional, a lot of Star Trek, to have, you know, a medical officer who is a regular character. And it's, you know, to the point where that's shown up in other sci-fi as well. And... Sometimes it just kind of begs the question of, but why? <laughs> uh, and but uh, you know, and so because you, you kind of have to have some number of episodes that are for sure going to be medical dramas as a result, and this one is sort of a medical drama at some portions. But if you're going to have a medical drama, there's much better ones throughout the series than this, even in this uh, season. They could have done yes. the one with the. Uh, the the uh, genetically engineered people with that are like virusing everyone. Spoilers. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, it's better. It's not great, but it is yeah. better. <laughs> it's like all right, you know, we could have that, or uh, could have the uh, uh, bit where uh, Picard's going to do, uh, you know, get a replacement heart, and you know, there's some heart surgery drama that's you know going on, and you know, that would be you know, a great way, you know, to you know, Picard's like kind of shy about getting his uh you know surgery on with you know on the ship because you know he's supposed to be the stern captain sort of person and uh you know with having a new doctor on it could be very much a case of you know i'm not entirely sure i'm you know quite comfortable with someone who doesn't really know me doing this on the ship especially if they're under my command that could have some interesting dynamics to it but instead we get this one yeah, well, I wouldn't have trusted them to do tapestry this early in this season. They would have, they would have screwed yeah. it up. Well, there, there's uh, a different uh, uh, heart one uh, that actually happens later this season, I believe. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, you know, it's it, it's what sets up for tapestry, actually. Yeah, that one isn't <laughs> as great. Yes. Yeah, they could have started with that one, but that's such a Wesley episode. Yes. Anyway, <laughs> um, this episode, I should say, is called "The Child." First episode mm-hmm. of season two. 
uh, written by uh, Jaron Summer and John Polvey. Polvey was the first associate producer for Star Trek The Motion Picture, so they've showed up before. Mm-hmm. And uh, Summer wrote for things like The Incredible Hulk, Buck Rogers, Miami Vice, all kinds of stuff, and did uh, several novels and short series. So they've been around, but not a made not a major person in this yet. Yes, uh, they even wrote for Star Trek Phase Two, which yes, is which yeah. this episode spawned from Phase Two <laughs> during this this uh, era. There was a lot of reused scripts because they wrote a lot of stuff for Phase 2, which was then canceled, folded into the movies. We talked about that before. Mm -hmm. And some of the episode ideas got taken into the second season because they needed ideas. There were writer strikes happening. They needed just like, here's half a script. Let's go. (laughs) Yeah, just kind of copy-paste some things around here and, you know, well... uh... We'll have some things uh, we could just sort of wing it, I guess, and uh, we'll have plenty of concerned looking at things. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we can uh, we can compare and contrast later once we've looked at this episode because it wouldn't make any sense to do it before. But uh, yeah, it's kind of um, worse. The phase two <laughs> script sounds worse. <laughs> oh man. <laughs> Uh, we do have some guest stars to get into because season two, we changed a few things. Mm-hmm. So we've got two actual guest stars. They're kind of small parts on this one. Uh, we've got... Call Meanie. Yeah. Call Meanie. <laughs> again. Again, again. We're just going to list him as main cast at this point because he shows up more and more and more often. Yes. <laughs> so we've got uh, Seymour Castle. He's a vet- veteran actor as... Uh, Hester Delt. Some weird names in this thing. He's a prolific actor. He's been in 200 films and TV shows. Like 200 so, plus. So A good number, yes. <laughs> it's like, oh yes. Uh, he was also on the regular show and uh, something called The Algerian and uh, ER and Main Street and uh, J- Lonesome Jim and <laughs> yes and so on and so forth <laughs> yeah one of his first roles was in the 1968 movie Faces that earned him an Academy Award nomination and he's just been in stuff since yeah this person is apparently a uh, pretty good at acting let's keep hiring him <laughs> and yeah. uh, R.J. Williams is playing Ian who's a child actor best known for soap operas like General Hospital and shows like Magnum P.I. and Full House hmm uh, are they still acting? I didn't bother to look, apparently. <laughs> I, I, I believe so. Uh, they were at uh, Sip or... Sp- uh, wait, oh, no, that's executive producer. <gasps> dun, dun, dun. Yeah, a lot of people who were child actors went on to behind-the-scenes stuff, probably when they got acne. Now, uh, last thing uh, they apparently were in was in 2013, a music video. But in terms of like mainstream acting, uh, you know, it seems like they stopped around 1994. So it was in uh, Saved by the Bell, the new class for an episode. So that's a thing. And we have a couple of character changes. Mm-hmm. See, Colmini is in my notes here. You just jumped the ah. gun <laughs> down here in the cast changes. <laughs> uh, Gates McFadden was replaced through who knows why probably sexism maybe fights no one can get no one's got a full-on coalesced version of what happened yes and uh, and most of them sound terrible no matter you know how it's being pitched so yeah yeah so now we have deanna Mulder as dr katherine pulaski um she previously appeared in two episodes of the original series return to tomorrow and there is ah, there is no what is the, is there in truth no beauty i hate that episode name <laughs> is there in truth no beauty it's like a tongue twister i should be saying it to warm up <laughs> uh yes uh you, you you know viewers of the original series or listeners of the show uh, may recall that uh, she uh, played a uh, character who was uh, uh was that uh, miranda jones that one i think mm-hmm. the the blind lady um, yeah, and there is the Arganians and uh, other cool stuff like that, and uh, not the Arganians, um, Medusans. There we go. Uh, <laughs> if you look at them, you like you lose your mind and stuff, and you know that's a plot point. And also the Medusan in Prodigy, and that's kind of cool. Anyway, yeah, it keeps causing people to lose their minds, and that's a plot point. 
<laughs> yes. Uh, and so, uh, yeah, she's back for the season, is uh, taking the doctor role. And, uh, you know, I know some folks, you know, rather don't like her because she's mean to Data. <laughs> mm. But yeah, uh, she's very obviously supposed to bring back that McCoy vibe. Yes. Which <laughs> was racist then and is racist now. And it makes her just come off as kind of mean and abrasive a lot of the time. Yes, and uh, again, instead of being against uh, the logical Vulcans, it's against the logical android. And uh, yeah, there's. I guess this episode's kind of the, the time they most butt heads, I guess. Uh, but there are other times uh, during the season where it's like, wow, you're just kind of like being a dick to him. <laughs> yeah, and then sometimes she's just like their old friends. They cannot mm-hmm. decide how to write her is part of yes. the problem. <laughs> Which, you know, sometimes happens when you get, you know, uh, character change shots like this. Other times you should know better. So, you know. (laughs) We also have the debut of Whoopi Goldberg in her continuing role as Guinan. She shows up for the entire rest of the series on and off. Um, She had made attempts to get on the show during the first season because she was inspired to pursue acting by Nicole Nichols in original series. Um, the producers did not believe that an Academy Award-nominated movie star wanted to be on their stupid <laughs> sci-fi show. <laughs> but it's like, no, let me on, guys. And they're like, what? Are, are you so serious? at a certain point, yeah. she personally called the producers and went, get me on this show, damn it. <laughs> and they're like, okay. <laughs> yeah, and, uh, for, if, if for some reason you're not familiar with Whoopi Goldberg, she's been in a little bit of everything. Uh <laughs> So, uh, you know, uh, take that, uh, you know, uh, list of, you know, 300 movies and just kind of increase it slowly uh, until you get everything else. Um, you know, uh, like Monkey Bone or uh, Algeria or uh, like a whole bunch of Saturday Night Live and uh, oh. Ghost of Mississippi, uh, 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 Fatal Beauty, Dolly, uh, you know, Ghosts. Uh, you know, Sister Act, Sister Act Two, Sister Act Three with a vengeance. Wait, there's no, is there a Sister Act? Yeah, I don't think there is one. Uh, Theodore Rex, and so forth, and uh, so forth. You know. Yeah, when she got to play a cop next to a animated dinosaur, dinosaur, dinosaur. <laughs> wasn't really animated. Would have been better if it was animated. Yes, uh, the Adventures of Rocky and Boldwinkle. <laughs> Madeline, my first ma- my fire air li- uh, na- Madeline, something called Star Trek Nemesis. Oh wait. <laughs> <laughs> and then, of course, this is when Colmini gets more regular character, and when he starts to be credited with an actual name. Mm-hmm. Uh, this right. is the first time that his name shows up. He is now the uh, the transporter chief. Uh, he's still called Transporter Chief at this point. This season is when they start calling him O'Brien. I'm going to keep calling him O'Brien because <laughs> we know that. Um, according to interviews with him, he didn't know he was getting a better character until one day he just showed up and his lines had changed to say O'Brien instead of <laughs> Transporter Chief. Wait, people actually know who I am? I know who I am? Wow. And finally, this episode marks the first appearance of Riker's beard, played by Jonathan Frakes' beard, mm-hmm. to become a staple of the show, except for a brief hiatus in Star Trek Insurrection. Indeed, and uh, it will uh, you know, start to grant him uh, more and more powers that uh, will uh, culminate uh, when it uh, finally uh, starts going gray, so, you know. Apparently for this season, they asked him to come in to make up with a full, full beard grown, and then they shaved off bits, and then when they'd gone too far, they spirit-gummed some of it back on (laughs) until they got to the Riker shape that they wanted. There was just a committee of people standing around shaving his beard and gluing hair back and going like, no, this side needs a bit more. Excellent. I I think that's perhaps uh, an important moment in Star Trek history. Yeah. So, so episode <laughs> episode <laughs> who so much stuff it? to do between seasons yes. so and plus we're, we're kind of dreading this one so you know it's, mm. it's fine if we just kind of meander for a little bit longer well i'm gonna be completely honest i watched this episode twice and then read an entire transcript and wrote a synopsis and i still don't remember half of it yeah there's a lot of not much happening 
<laughs> so the Enterprise is just rendezvoused with the Repulse to pick up their new doctor. It's important because they are going to be looking at a deadly, deadly plague. Uh, what kind of plague? This deadly, deadly one. I don't know something. Uh, it's it's it's. I believe they call it a plasma plague, which. Oh, did they? My God, I, I have no idea what that means. It <laughs> gets into your blood plasma. Yeah, or ionizes you. One of the two. <laughs> the new chief, the engineer LaForge, shows up to talk to Riker and Picard about how they are installing individualized stasis cells that they've been working on to carry viral samples in a large containing unit that's going to prevent this deadly, deadly plague from infecting the crew while they're carrying it around. Oh, well, that's kind of nice. Um, so, are you going to put this uh, crazy uh, storage container uh, within its own uh, force field? Okay, good, good, good. Are we going to put it in a, um, uh, you know, a say, uh, environment that can also have another layer of protection on it, like a you know, more force fields, or maybe like a large shuttle, perhaps, so that if something goes horribly wrong, we just sort of open the door and kick it out. Yeah, you know what they should probably do <laughs> would be to just you 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 build the thing and then you just tow it behind the damn ship. Hmm. And then it's in space, and then if something goes wrong, it's out there. <laughs> yes. <laughs> ah, but uh, I guess they want to be able to, like, look at it and have a prop. Suppose, you know. Yeah. You know, special effects stuff. <laughs> so they set course to another planet to collect the samples, and a small ball of light flies into the Enterprise, causing really small power fluctuations that only Data can find. Uh, it flies around the ship until it finds a sleeping Deanna Troy and flies into her sheets and she suddenly wakes up. Slightly disturbing implications yeah. of <laughs> this scene. Just like, yeah, this is um, a little uncomfortable, Gas. Uh, could, could you would not have stuff like this happen in Star Trek, please? So Geordi is nearly finished with his preparations on the virus thingy, so Picard wants to go over the details with their new doctor, who's yet to report in. Uh, Sickbay tells him that she's in 10 forward, the Enterprise bar that has always been there, but no one's ever seen. Yes. <laughs> uh, maybe they were modeling all of last season. Mm-hmm. Picard heads there, and he is pissed, because the Doctor did not report in for duty. Yes, it's like, come on, we got some like basic uh, you know, procedures to go here. Uh, what gives? So Picard's joined by Wesley for some awkward elevator conversation about how Wesley's going to be leaving to join his mother at Starfleet Medical. They're sad, but reassignment is part of Starfleet, etc., etc. Yeah, Wesley, if you go to the academy, you could end up on any sheet, uh, any ship in the fleet. You know, so you might not necessarily come back to the Enterprise, even if you do go through the academy and all that. So you know, this is maybe something to think about. So they get to ten forward. It's a massive bar. It's mm-hmm. huge. This is this is bigger than any bar I have ever been to in New York. <laughs> well, it's bar slash lounge slash, you know, uh, set where you can have action scenes occasionally on the ship. So Guinan points Picard towards Pulaski, sitting by the window with Troy. We've introduced all the main characters, new characters at this point. Good job. Mm-hmm. Uh, Picard's ready to lambast her, but she interrupts and tells him to sit down and listen. Because, you know, Troy's got the pregnancy happening. <laughs> dun, dun, dun. So it's uh, like, oh, you should have reported it. Something else has come up, dude. Yeah, there, there's something like weird going on. And, you know, maybe we should like actually deal with this. So Picard calls a staff meeting to tell everyone Troy is pregnant. It's a weird thing to do, but fine. Pulaski shows some scans of the fetus. Seems to have been conceived about 11 hours ago, but is six weeks old. Now, one of my favorite things about this particular scene is how Picard actually introduces the uh, subject of conversation. It's like she's pregnant. She's uh, going to have a baby. (laughs) It's like, (laughs) okay. (laughs) Is this not something that she should be uh, saying to everyone? Or I know there's like weird stuff going on, Captain, but... Well, like, no one would have to mention this if it weren't for the whole immaculate conception part of things. Uh, and and I, I've heard folks sort of, you know, make, uh, you know, some fun of this, uh, you know, the scene as well, that, you know, Picard's filled with fear, not because of the weird alien stuff going on, but children. There's going to be another mm, one on this there's ship. An, there's another child. Oh, my God. <laughs> it's lurking. 
So uh, if this pace of development continues, then the entire pregnancy is going to be over in about 36 hours. And there's no father, just a presence. Everyone panics about the presence. Yes. Worf wants to terminate immediately. <laughs> it's like, abort the baby, just go. <laughs> well, you know, he is Worf. Uh, you know, maybe he just wants something to die today because he's bored. And, you know, this is just a convenient excuse. <laughs> I also think it's interesting, even though they don't go with it, can you imagine nowadays a character on a TV show being this for abortion? It would be unexpected. This is just like, we should get rid of it. It's a threat. <laughs> okay. Let's have a uh, reasonable uh, you know, conversation. And you know, apparently we are getting all the uh, angles of the conversation. Uh, they are. They're like, this thing might be dangerous. Or what do we do? This is weird. And then Troy goes, I'm having the baby. And at that point, they just go like, okay, that's it. Discussion over. Yeah. You have the baby. And then it starts to try to killing us. Uh, then we can deal with then it. Then we have point. to do yeah. something. Yeah. <laughs> But until then, I guess, uh, have fun being pregnant for like a day and a half. Yeah. Uh, so a few hours later, they arrive at the planet. Troy is now noticeably pregnant, but she has no discomfort of any kind because this alien's making this the easiest pregnancy in all of human history. Oh, I know uh, TV pregnancies can be a little like that sometimes, but come on. <laughs> so they contact Lieutenant Commander Delt, who is the medical trustee in charge of the collection station and this whole plague thing. Yep, when yeah. Lieutenant Delt dealt here, did, did did he smelt it? Yes. Okay. He smelt the plague. <laughs> Sorry, I had to. <laughs> so he wants to come look at their containment system personally uh, because he's good at his job. Excellent. Like, if there's a single mistake in this thing, every single person on the ship is going to die. So, uh, you know, I, I like and trust your people, but, you know, double checking is a smart yeah. thing to do. <laughs> So 14 hours later, they are still inspecting the containment system, which I can understand why people would be annoyed by this, but like, please take as much time as you need to make sure not every single person on the ship is going to die. You know, especially if you're not going to do one of the plans I, you know, we mentioned earlier. So Data heads to sick bay to look over the transporter preparations just in time to find Troy, who is about to go into labor. Oh, cool. And uh, Data, what, how do you feel about this? Yeah, Data gets to be the dad and uh, hold her hand. And Pulaski goes, no, no, you do not need the cold touch of a machine. <laughs> uh, excuse me? <laughs> <laughs> and Troy's like, yeah, he's fine. You know, we're friends. Yeah. It's, it's all cool. <laughs> so Worf shows up with security, but true to everything else that's been going on, the birth is fast and painless. Baby seems to be somehow making things easy. At least they acknowledge that they made it weirdly fast and painless instead of every other TV show in history where it's just like, baby's out. Yep. <laughs> you know, there's not, you know, any uh, uh, lengthy dramas. Uh, you know, the... Uh, Alright, so you know, we got lots of screaming and people rushing around making sure everything is going as it needs to be, everything's prepped, or and, uh, you know... I I'm trying to avoid all the kind of uh, gooey bits mm -hmm. here. Uh, mm -hmm. <laughs> And I was you know, trained as an EMT at one point. I know, ex I know intimately all the gooey bits. Yes, and uh, <laughs> so uh, you know, uh, but you know, this time it's a magic baby uh, with space power. So you know, it it sort of waves its baby arm at the situation, and everything's okay. Yeah. <laughs> so later on the bridge, Pulaski is explaining that this whole thing was too easy, and if she examined Troy now, there would be no signs that she was ever pregnant at all at mm. any point. Wait, did you uh, do a, a, a fetal transport? <laughs> yeah, they should be able to do that. Like, yeah. there's no reason anyone has to go through this. Yes. <laughs> like, even even the dangers of a C-section seem like they should be done and over at that point. Yes. <laughs> so Picard and Pulaski check in on Troy to see the baby, and they find a four-year-old who can talk. Yeah. Well, that's Because don't worry, creepy. everything yeah. will be okay. It's like, thanks. <laughs> Thank you, small demon child. <laughs> So uh, is, is this uh, one of the uh, children of the damned or children of the corn? Uh, uh, <laughs> we need to figure this out so we can put down the right form. <laughs> children of that damned corn. Um, later on, the child's about eight, and that's where he's going to stabilize for our purposes. Because, so. mm -hmm. you know, keep changing out actors. We're going to have to keep paying more people. So Yeah. <laughs> so Data and Pulaski are 
Categorizing the specimens, several of them have been genetically modified. This is one hell of a plague. Just, just some dude went, I'm going to make the deadliest plague anyone's ever seen for fun. As you do, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Like genetically engineering a plague for fun and profit. And then just sort of adding it to the rest of the plague that they got going on here? Mm -hmm. That's weird. <laughs> uh, she keeps calling data, data, which I can tell that I had a fun time trying to note that down. Um, <laughs> um, when he very politely corrects her, like, I'm sorry, you're using the wrong name for me. You might not have noticed. She goes, what? This is the same thing. What's wrong with you? Well, uh, would you like me to uh, call you by a different name? Pulaskar, perhaps? <laughs> yeah, fucking, fucking turf energy. Hmm. <laughs> maybe, um, uh, maybe, uh, uh, Katarine? See, the reason that this dynamic doesn't work is because Data is nice and good-natured the entire time. Mm -hmm. The yes. McCoy-Spock dynamic, they were both throwing barbs at each other. Yes. You cannot have one person be a racist douche and the other person go, maybe you haven't noticed, but you're being a racist douche. And they go, no, no, screw you. Spock would come have his comebacks, but Data's just like, oh, you screwed it up. Um, you know, please don't in the future. So Velasky tells everyone that they're ready, but also, you know, if the least deadly thing in here breaches containment, we would all be dead in six hours. But, oh. you know, there's nothing better to do, so we may as well carry on. <laughs> so, you know, don't let the kids play near the uh, deadly uh, virus containment system here, and uh, mm -hmm. I guess everything will be fine. <laughs> yeah. So while they've been the samples on board, which takes a long time, Ian gets to go to the puppy room. There's a puppy room on the Enterprise? Yes, the Enterprise has a puppy room. Is there also a kitten complex? There probably is. It's getting all sorts of cool stuff on the on the ship now. We got yeah. Got I the, mean, they're just way ahead. This is this is like peak like R and R for like. <laughs> are you stressed out by your job? Go to the puppy room. Hooray! <laughs> you know, it's like all right. You want to get drunk? Well, there's a giant bar now. If you want to go hang out and pet puppies, there's a puppy room. You know, uh, if if you want to, I don't know. Um, go uh, you, you hop on a pogo stick through an obstacle course. We got that now too. I guess. I mean, they do have the holodeck, so. Yes. But this is specialized. I'm just coming up with it off the fly here, but, you know. <laughs> Zero-G pogo stick gym. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> so, Pulaski uh, and Picard come to talk to Ian again in the puppy room, where Picard goes, mm -hmm. I have never played with a puppy. <laughs> we do not have joy and happiness when I grew up. It is a new thing. <laughs> yeah, he just days. stares glassy eyes like, what is this? <laughs> Don't get it near me. <laughs> Yeah, Ian's not ready to tell them why he's here yet, but don't worry, it's fine. Don't worry about it. He also yeah. uh, burns himself on some soup, probably intentionally, because he wanted to know what it felt like to be burned. Well, uh, uh, kid, do you, do you think it sucks? If so, don't do it again. Yeah, if, I mean, if, this, this you know. happens. <laughs> the number of times I impaled myself on a cactus because I was a dumb kid and thought it would be fun to touch a cactus. Cactus. This happens. So uh, they're en route to drop off the samples. Wesley's pining in 10 forward because it's time for Guinan to come and give some sage advice because like, I love Guinan and I'm really glad that Whoopi Goldberg got to be on the show. She's one of my favorite characters. Um, they definitely just included a second counselor though and gave yes. Troy even <laughs> less to do. It's like, oh, we got a uh, the counselor who's uh, you know going to give you various... Uh, sort of, uh, you, know, it, you know, it's nice to be calm and be friendly. And then you got Guinan who's like, yeah, here's how the world works, you know. Huh. So, you know, it's, it's different sort of approaches and for completely different situations, but there's like 80% overlap all the same. <laughs> I do love her in this because he's like, aren't you supposed to give me advice? Like, nope. Like, <laughs> oh, so that is the advice. Don't always do what people expect of you. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> like you gave me advice by not giving me advice. What kind of magic is this? <laughs> uh, meanwhile, something's wrong. One of the viruses has started to grow, 
my I, this is hilarious because my autocorrect apparently decided to take samples and autocorrect it to sesame seeds <laughs> so one of the deadly deadly sesame seeds has started to breach containment oh no they're gonna get all over our buns soon uh, so there's nothing wrong nothing's malfunctioning everything is great but it's growing for some reason why they can't really destroy it and if they jettison it it's just going to float around in space until it hits a planet or something and infects them what about which i guess the answers my question about why they don't just leave it dangling out the back of the ship because you know? <laughs> it might fall off and hit a planet <laughs> though by the same token if this thing gets out then you just have a plague ship floating around yep so that's also bad which could also just randomly crash into a planet at some point well, maybe there's a plan to self-destruct before everyone was dead. Maybe. Hmm. But then, how do you know this virus isn't going to survive an antimatter explosion <laughs> if it apparently can go dormant in space for thousands of years? Yes. Well, and it, you know, if it is a plasma, as in, you know, ionization all over the place, as opposed to plasma as in blood, you know, then you might have to actually worry about that because yeah. it's apparently magic. So they got about 30 minutes until it breaks containment and kills them all. Ticking clock? Plasky checks on the specimen and sees that it was modified using a weird kind of radiation that shouldn't be around, but that low levels of it are causing it to grow. But, you know, nothing on the ship gives off that kind of radiation. It's a strange one that shouldn't exist naturally. Hmm. So, uh, what, what kind of radiation is this? I wrote down Eichner, I think. Yes, uh, Eichner radiation. Um... Uh, you know, data specifically mentions certain cyanocyrolates, which is apparently glue. Radioactive glue. Yes, I guess. So in Troy's quarters, Ian feels that everyone is worried because he's an empath too. He also knows that the reason that they're worried, because the plague, and it's time for him to go or everyone's going to die. Sorry. Well, um, okay, uh, you going to take a shuttle and fly off into who knows what? Uh, Troy knows, in, inherently, I guess mother powers, that this means he's going to die and calls Pulaski down immediately. Well, well, this kind of sucks. Huh. She and Data arrive. Data identifies Ian as the source of the radiation. Pulaski can't do anything because he's not dying. He's turning back into a light ball. Well, uh, at least he's going to be, uh, you know, lighting up people's lives. <laughs> That's so bad. <laughs> <laughs> Troy holds the light bulb for a minute and it flies off into space. As soon as he's gone, the specimen goes back to normal. Containment's restored. Everyone's saved. Uh, yeah. Troy explains that Ian was a space being. He got curious about them, so he decided the best way to learn was to be born and live as a human for a bit. And he didn't think it would put anyone in danger. Well, I, uh, cool. I guess that's something a space being can do. Yeah. I guess that kind. <laughs> I guess also, uh, you know, begs the question, uh, you know, when this space being it's one of the other random space beings around the universe, do they like just like go, hey, what's up? Or do they like try to exist <laughs> as each other? Some weird questions. We never run into these things again. These space beings are apparently just everywhere and they just show up once on one ship and then bugger off forever. Yeah. I wonder if they uh, if he uh, ever runs into the uh, folks that are like imagination's like something we don't have or maybe some more <laughs> can teach them yeah <laughs> so now everything's settled down delt prepares to beam down he wants to make a vaccine with everything but still could take years and all of this could have been for nothing bye um well um the you're, you're welcome yeah, that's Thanks, science maybe? for you yeah, but, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's like yeah at least we're giving it a try i guess that's that's good enough right then on the bridge, Wesley tells Picard that he wants to stay. Picard puts it to the crew, because, you know, with his mother gone, they'll have to raise him. So Riker's going to see to his upbringing. That'll be fun. <laughs> it's like, hey, Riker, here's how to party. <laughs> Data will see to his studies, which, so that's interesting, but, like, Data learns things through rote memorization very quickly. Seems like he might not be the best person to uh, teach someone how to study. That might explain why uh, you know, Wesley starts seeming a bit strung out a little bit later in the series. <laughs> like, and Worf will tuck him in at night, so it's settled. And Wesley's staying, so they don't have to get rid of another actor. All right, well, uh, yeah, well, I guess that all works out. And uh, 
we uh, you know both uh, had another child on the show, and they're gone now too. Yeah. And you know your mom might be gone, kid, but uh, we get to keep you around. And uh, yeah, so all the shuffling is done, and yeah. that's an and episode. Off we go. Yeah, <laughs> I could definitely see a, a version of this where. Well, Wheaton had to leave too, and this kid just grows up to be a teenager really fast, and then <laughs> joins the crew. It's like, oh yeah, we need a, a different prodigy child on the ship now, uh, so we'll just grow one. Hmm. What's please. your name, Wesley? Too cool. <laughs> I am Wesley Ian Troy. So the child, what would you think? It is. A mix of uncomfortable mixed with some good stuff in the transition to a new se- a season mixed in with a good helping of what? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they had some good character stuff. Mm-hmm. And I actually kind of like Delt, the weird little obsessive who like he's he's slightly abrasive, but because he's just has to be paranoid all the time because he works with the most deadly disease ever conceived by a man. <laughs> It's like, yeah, I'm I'm going to make sure everything's good to go. You can give me all the appro- uh, you know, appreci- uh, you know, uh, you know, you know, confirmations that you did your job right, but just in case, I'm going to double check it. Sorry. <laughs> uh he kind of uh in, in some ways reminds me of the character Siler from uh Stargate. Mm-hmm. Who's like, yeah, I got a job to do and I'm going to do it. You guys can do it with all the weird space stuff here. I, I'm just going to do this thing, though, and I'm going to do it very well. <laughs> yeah, I sit here, I hit this button, this is my function. Yes. <laughs> and, you know, and, uh, you know we're going to have, uh, you, know, you know, certain uh, you know, mechanical things I work on, and, you know, I'm not going to, you know, blow smoke up your backside. I'm going to be all about, I'm going to do this, and I'm going to do it correctly. So, you know. Yeah, so, that was a good character. I hope he comes back. He doesn't, he doesn't, he doesn't, does he? No. Alas. So this episode has been uh, broadly criticized for the whole immaculate conception thing. Yep. Um, it's a pretty generally agreed on to be a fairly sexist trope that uh, mm-hmm. just takes a random woman and impregnates her because it's something that you can do, and then they are fine with it, and then they immediately become angry mom. That's the usual the usual thing here is like, oh, you can't do this with my child that I just randomly had in two days because mom instincts. Yeah, yeah, mom instincts are you know overloading any sense of what the heck's going on here, <laughs> and you know we're just supposed to go with it, I guess. Yeah, yeah, you know, never mind that you know uh, you've obviously been violated, um, you know by the child itself i guess which is all sorts of weird and you know there's, there's notions of being confused there's the whole uh, you know waves of hormones probably short surging through your body that may be doing all sorts of you know push and pull on your emotional states but apparently it all just averages out to battle mom yeah <laughs> a lot of people have described this better, so I'm not going to try to do a deep take here. I believe there's a uh, Tropes versus Women episode about this very thing that mentions this specifically. Yeah. <laughs> and But in general, firstly, this u- basically utilizes women as a womb mm-hmm. to do whatever with. The general thing is almost always non-consensual because it just shows up. Uh, in these versions, there's not even an angel that comes down and goes like, "Hey, don't worry about it," like we have in the Bible. <laughs> you know, it's like, all right, so you know, okay, if you're going to have something like this happen, and you want to maybe not just bend the character to go with the trope here, you have you know the uh, you know the, the the one that enters your body. Okay, fine, that's yeah, that's 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 icky, but you know. Uh, but have a whole bunch of other ones just kind of hang out and like I, I you know and because she's an empath she can feel how they're feeling and they might be worried about you know the the one who's gone on on this uh, experience here but they also are able to communicate that you know you know it's going to be okay we're going to take care of you and you know maybe have them be helpful guys through the episode so that and you know that 
you know, she, Troy can be all like, you know, the, uh, the uh, chorus of other beings here are, you know, telling, you know, me something along this lines here. And, you know, I might have my own thoughts and feelings about this, but they seem to be making a compelling argument for <laughs> us to just let this happen, maybe. Um, and, you know, and then Picard's like, well, okay, but, you know, if there's still a danger to the ship, I will still have to act. And, you know, maybe the follow-up to that is they understand, and that's why they're doing their best to make sure there isn't. Um, and, you know, they're also wanting to, you know, that Picard could add, you know, I also don't want any danger to you. And she can be all like, all right, they've also assured me that. And, you know, I'll let you know, Captain, if there's any, you know, if I feel at all bad about this. And so it stops being this, this is a weird thing that happened, and there's non-consent, and... You know, everything is just supposed to happen like the trope does. Instead, we actually have a conversation, and sure, there's some still stuff about it, but at least it's being sort of apologized for, and that makes it 20% better, but still terrible. (laughs) There's never any, like, discussion dealing with, etc. in these things. Mm -hmm. Um it, it really just perpetuates the idea that a woman is going to not only want to be a mother under any circumstances, but that is such her core purpose that this mm-hmm. is basically a fulfillment of her being. And even with two days to deal with the whole suddenly becoming pregnant and mother thing, she just falls directly into, of course, I'm the best mom in the world and I love this child with everything, etc., etc. Mm-hmm. And they did that in this episode in a more insulting way, too, because they uh, they want to say, well, this is why we care about this kid who just randomly showed up. But I would also <laughs> argue that that's insulting to the characters and the audience, because yeah. if a random baby just showed up, you would still, like, I would argue they would have more reason to care about it than <laughs> this weird, non-consensual, forced impregnation thing happening. Yes, uh, I guess a, I guess a, a situation similar to what you know that specific one is when uh, on Voyager, when they uh, pick up the Borg kids, and one of them's a baby, and you know they kind of forget about that for a little bit, but there's a baby on board now, <laughs> and they're like, yeah, we're going to take care of it, and you know, you know, make sure it, uh, you know, has an opportunity for a full life. That, you know, it would not have, you know, you know, generally had as a, you know, just another drone there. And, you know, that, you know, that's something that you can do on a, you know, on an episode, on an episode of Star Trek. And instead we got this plot. Mm-hmm. I think you could just, if you just had a kid show up, then everyone would have a reason to care about them. It would be like a communal mm-hmm we're all caring about this child thing. And then they'd all have a reason to worry about it when the kid died later. Instead, they tried to focus in on, like, Troy cares about this kid. But they also didn't have anyone particularly arguing against her caring about that kid. So it didn't even have a conflict. (laughs) Which, I guess, is uh, kind of grown up of the uh, the rest of everybody. That's like, okay, uh, she wants the kid, so I guess that's good enough? Mm Mm-hmm. Well, you do have a pretty shitty thing in the meeting, even when Riker goes like, "Who's the father?" Oh my God, I'm jealous now. <laughs> Riker, calm down. Well, Riker, it's the baby itself. What? <laughs> Time travel nonsense. You know, I'm, I'm gonna beat out this baby. Are you are gonna name them Dave Lister, aren't you? <laughs> are, are you familiar with uh, that uh, whole plot on on Red Dwarf? Yeah, I remember that bit. <laughs> General time travel shenanigans. Yes. So, um, that trope's awful. They don't mm-hmm. do a lot of other interesting things with this episode generally. Um, I think something, this was pointed out to me, it's not my original thought, so much as I would like it to be. But the most interesting thing with this that I could think of at all is that this child, this way of like reproducing or gaining the experiences or whatever for what's happening on the ship is essentially a brood parasite. Kind of, yeah. (laughs) So for people who don't know the biology stuff, brood parasitism is something that happens in birds. Uh, At least it's well studied in birds. I can't say for sure whether it happens in other egg-laying species or not. 
but definitely happens in birds where a member of a different species or sometimes the same species especially with like waterfowl this happens a lot will lay its eggs in another bird's nest and then leave the egg there to be cared for by the other parents like i don't got time to take care of this kid you have it and you won't notice of course, the most famous example of this that everyone knows is the cuckoo, which mm-hmm. also not all species of cuckoo do this. It's actually a very small selection of the species of cuckoos, but it got very famous. So yeah. uh, <laughs> cuckoos will lay their eggs in other birds' nests, and then those birds will take care of them. The main thing that people don't like about this, what people think of the first thing they get when they hear brood parasite, is that in different species a lot of brood parasiting species the newly hatched brood parasite chick will destroy the other eggs or in some cases kill the other existing chicks Mm -hmm. that is something that definitely can happen but not always because there are in fact some instances where like there was a really interesting study where uh crows that get parasitized by a kind of uh cuckoo chick have actually a higher nest success rate than other crows because the cuckoo chick can emit a foul-smelling substance that wards off predators. So it actually protects the nest that it's in, and that way the other crow babies have a better chance of not being predated on. Yeah, so uh, Mr. uh, Snake there or, uh, you know, Hawk there, and uh, they're like... We're looking for something here, but this stinks, so we're going to avoid it. So uh, we're going to go eat somebody else now. Yeah, so in some cases, it's not always completely negative. In a lot of cases, they just take up the resources from the bird, and they don't necessarily kill the other chicks. They all just live next to each other. You see pictures, which are kind of ridiculous, of a like cuckoo teenager, which is three times the size of the bird that it's parasitized. <laughs> being fed by this tiny little parent (laughs) you got so big what's up (laughs) but i also thought it was interesting because i've been looking at stuff from this there's there's different ways that the birds try to defend against brood parasitism because everyone has this thing it's like oh well the brood parasites come in and they're evil cuckoos get kind of a bad reputation but this happens on both sides it's more of a evolutionary war happening (laughs) Like, uh, yeah, yeah, you know, folks don't uh, often realize that there are conflicts going on on evolutionary timescales where uh, mm-hmm. one species, you know, uh, adapts uh, something and then another one sort of counter adapts in order to sort of uh, maintain their niche and, uh, uh, you know, and, and general success as a species. <laughs> now, there's these, uh, there's birds called masked weaver birds. Weaver birds, as the name would imply, build very complex woven nest structures. Mm-hmm. And the masked weaver birds build ridiculously tiny nest entrances that trap the cuckoos when they try to come in to parasitize. <laughs> you're, you're trapped now. <laughs> and then, of course, being birds, they rip the cuckoo apart with their beaks. Because <laughs> birds are all angry little buggers. Yes. Yeah, we got uh, only a couple weapons here, and by gosh, we're going to use them. So prepare to be uh, pecked, dipped, and pulled. There's also some uh, finch chicks have very, very weirdly complex patterns on the inside of their mouths, which apparently evolved completely independently in a lot of different finch species, like independent of brood parasitism, whether this species is parasitized or not. But an upshot of whatever these markings were initially for is that the brood parasites don't have them so it's very easy for a finch to identify which chicks are their natural born chicks and not all right everybody open your mouth okay good 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 (gasps) oh no if you look at pictures of these things some of them are like fluorescent they 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 like concentrate and reflect light in this really really bright blue pattern it's insane Hmm. also on this my favorite is there's a species of uh, goldfinch, an American goldfinch, that is one of the most herbivorous birds. A lot of birds will eat some insects or opportunistically eat meat when available. Yes. Uh, this is not the most. This is not the only species that does this, but this goldfinch is one of the most herbivore birds. 
to the extent that it feeds its chicks an exclusively seed diet, which is very, very unusual for birds. Most birds feed uh, their babies insects, even if they are normally herbivores. Yes. Um, We're going to eat some protein. (laughs) The upshot of this is that brood parasites cannot survive on that diet. Oh, you want some bugs? Well, too bad. Now, what I think could be interesting, um, there's another one that I'm going to get into in a sec, but what could be interesting is if you actually did this as the sci-fi episode, this kid could just show up, you raise the kid for a certain amount of time, eventually it just like goes, okay, thank you, and moves on, another ship shows up, <laughs> maybe with people from like all kinds of different cultures and things, and the kid like just gets taken onto the ship. Because <laughs> hmm. there's an interesting case where... Um, they found that certain songbirds, certain certain songbird parasites, will learn the parent's song in addition to the song that they would naturally learn to identify themselves to each other. And then they also incorporate that song into their own into their own courtship rituals. Interesting. So it would be really, really interesting to have a sci-fi version of this where the kid just shows up and then at the end, they get taken in by their, you know, parent species that just dropped them off there to be raised. <laughs> and one of the upshots of this is that they just keep incorporating different parts of different cultures because all their kids get raised in a radically different culture. And then they just form this weird amalgamation of every culture in the system. <laughs> That'd be kind of, yeah, kind of neat, to, especially in, you know, a franchise like Star Trek, where there is so many recognizable cultures of various sorts that you know having a situation where there is a legit mishmash of all of them together would be kind of fun to see yeah and you could have it be a mirror of the federation to like oh they explore by having their children raised in different places yeah. you'd have you could have like wharf commands like oh the klingons have legends of this you must kill the child immediately <laughs> it was said that once they uh Managed to have one survive and escape to their, you know, uh, city ships. And soon they made war upon the entire galaxy for three generations. <laughs> like, oh, this Klingon stuff's cool. <laughs> Go around to stab people? Neat. <laughs> yeah, and later, it wouldn't come up. It's like, that's that's why they don't go to these warlike cultures anymore. <laughs> yeah, it, wasn't that you ki- it wasn't that you kicked us out. We're like, this is a bad idea. No. <laughs> Yeah, we just start getting all violent, and nobody likes that. <laughs> so, uh, how about that uh, uh, miraculous birth situation? Yeah, happens happens a lot, doesn't it? Yeah, uh, like this uh, this one time there was like this uh, uh, you know uh, you know emperor that was born apparently in China. Uh, you know, his, his mom Fu Bao, uh, just like just like going on a walk, and. Um, Suddenly, there's a lightning bolt that came out of the Big Dipper, and she was pregnant. Apparently, yeah, yeah. happens <laughs> in China, happened in the Epic of Gilgamesh, mm-hmm. happens yeah, in different things. You know. <laughs> yeah, I, think it's, uh, I didn't look through all the uh, like Egyptian weird birth situations, but they have plenty of them, and I wouldn't be surprised if at least one of them was you know. And then just suddenly, we just had a kid. Yeah, you know, mm. it wasn't any yeah. no, no dad. You know, just happened. <laughs> I'm not going to get into the religious arguments, but of course, everyone who goes immaculate conception thinks of Christianity. It's the most yes. famous example in modern modern times, near modern mm-hmm. times. Yeah, mm. it's a sign of that your birth is special, and thus you are a special person. Yeah, it's been a staple in human stories for millennia. But uh, also something that i always found interesting and something that i don't think that doesn't really get talked about when when these things get brought up is uh, everyone thinks of the biblical stuff as like you know even if there were other stories they're all kind of connected this is something that that is in all of these old documents um but immaculate conceptions were recognized by the church for hundreds of years like this was (laughs) something that happened to nuns a lot it's like, yeah, this nun is obviously a godly lady, and she's, uh, you know, uh, kept herself pure. So obviously, you know, Jesus was involved somehow. There you go. Yeah. Uh, like this is this. There's obvious thing. There's obvious conclusions one can draw from this, mm-hmm. but 
Uh, I think it's part of church history, and especially Christianity, that doesn't get talked about very much because th this is something that keeps coming up if you look into historical records. The Immaculate Conception is just a thing that happens in the church for hundreds of years. We don't really have it as an explanation for stuff now. But everyone talks about it like it's just the one special thing that happened one time. But it was happening for hundreds of years. And, you know, by happening for hundreds of years, you know, uh, you know it's, it's probably, uh, you know, cases of, you know, they did actually have sex at some point. Probably, but, but yeah. not according to the church. So. <laughs> yes. <laughs> So, uh, you know, it's it's sort of one of those, you know, we're kind of putting a spin on the situation and, you know, just don't worry about it, guys. As someone who's not religious, it's easy for me, it's easy to poke fun at stuff, but like, you know, if this is something that is recognized by the church in different things, maybe there was something else that made the one guy special, like, you know, this message of not being mean to each other or something. Yeah. Yeah, and, uh. So yeah, we got you know maybe you know some you know some miraculous stuff going on there, sure, but you know maybe there is like important stuff that uh, we you know we should actually pay paying attention to. So you know uh, if we only talk about the one thing, you know maybe you know it'll be like okay, so magic person I guess, but you know if we also like spread the the word, then you know we can have the magic person and like a whole like faith based around it. Yeah. Could be. There's so much stuff recently. I don't want to get into a rant. There's just so much stuff recently that keeps reminding me. It's like people have not actually read the book that all this stuff is based on, <laughs> and people certainly are not incorporating the message into their own belief system, or they would not be doing most of this stuff. Yes. It's like, well, it's like, uh, so uh, how about that love thy neighbor stuff, you know? Yeah. Yeah. None of the, none of the, the love your neighbor um, the sick and the infirm and the poor are the most important people. Mm -hmm. um, rich people suck. And, uh, Look at these priests in their finery strutting around like they own the place. Yeah, you know, maybe yeah. Uh, you know, a mega church is perhaps not the uh, the best place to be. Uh, you know, uh, worshiping uh, you know a religion that you know has lots of messages about you know be good to the poor and stuff. Mm -hmm. And you know, don't like try to put yourself on a giant pedestal. Collecting interests from loans is a sin. Yes. <laughs> Ye old usury. <laughs> but, you know. Don't wear mixed fiber clothing. Stop <laughs> shaving. But, uh, you know, there's uh, a lot of stuff in religions that uh, folks seem happy to conveniently forget if it'll uh, conflict with the uh, their, I guess, a effectively adopted culture at the time. So, mm -hmm. you know, I guess that's maybe something we should be expecting. But uh, still, it's annoying. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, uh, uh, another uh, miraculous birth uh, is, uh, of course, Kabir, uh, a, a poet from the 1400s. Uh, was apparently uh, born of a, a virgin widow um, mm. and then was, uh, you know, dropped into a basket, sent down the river sort of situation. Um, oh, one of those. <laughs> another one uh, is, uh, of course, you know, our old uh, buddy Merlin. Uh <laughs> Who was, uh, you know, apparently one, uh, her, her, you know, his mom was uh, one of those uh, nuns you mentioned. Uh, there may have been an incubus involved somewhere, but, you know, that's still, you know, you know special. <laughs> that's fun. Depending on which yes. version of that you're going with, that must have been a pretty early nun given the Roman influences. Yes. <laughs> and uh, I, would, I lost track of it, but uh, there was a couple, uh, you know, like... Aztec, I think it was uh, sort of uh, related things there, but uh, anyway, I'll, I'll, I can look it up later. <laughs> hmm. <laughs> oh, oh, it was uh, Quetzalcoatl, our old friend, uh, a friend, uh, Cuckoo Khan, uh, was apparently uh, born to a virgin. Mm -hmm. Also, technically, most Greek gods. Yeah. <laughs> because they were all born from Zeus's forehead. <laughs> it's like, ah, just, there's another one popping out of my forehead. <laughs> like zits <sighs> i thought that cream was gonna help <laughs> born now, of migraine is the story <laughs> i remember <laughs> now of course there is you know in various religions and myths uh you know other forms of miraculous births of course um some of them get a little graphic so you know i'm not going to go into them here but uh you know there's still a lot of ways you could sort of change up the uh special birth sort of stories uh, and you know get something at the variant 
that maybe you don't expect. Mm -hmm. And uh, going back to the Egyptians, uh, it often involves siblings. So, you know, be careful about that. Right. I think we've yeah. plumbed this well <laughs> a bit, so to speak. No, I, I guess I could also talk about the history of abortion, but uh, we're running a little out of time. <laughs> well, they didn't actually do that in this episode. So. Nope. <laughs> was brought up so i was ready just in case <laughs> okay before we get into that and really get canceled let's uh continue on with the galaxy's favorite game show Hey everybody, welcome to the galaxy's favorite game show. Our various contestants here, while not being floating energy beings, have been racking up lots of points here, and uh, we're about ready to uh, hand out some prizes. Our first one today is the Space Baby Prize, which goes to Ian for being all a baby in need of a mom and like coming in from outer space and stuff, but also being kind of radioactive, I guess. What does Ian, Ian uh, win, Gepwin? Ian wins a 90s sitcom, because that's just... Space baby lands. People have to take care of the radioactive baby. There's hijinks. This just seems like like a nineties nineties show to me. Hmm. I wonder if they'll uh, uh, have a uh, uh, crossover with that. Uh, what if the the chimp uh, with Gordy? Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> chimp and space baby. Yes. Our second uh, uh, prize uh, we're handing out here is the. Android Dad Prize, which goes to Data for be clearly being excited for uh, uh, Troy giving birth. Like, he's like all smiles and like wonder and stuff. Uh, what does Data win? Or as Pul uh, Pulaski would say, Dada. <laughs> Data wins endless years of correcting the child with his name. Like, Dada. <laughs> no, Data. Dada. <laughs> Dada. <laughs> Dada, daddy, dada, daddy. Ah, <laughs> uh, yes. Yeah. It's perhaps a good thing Ian decided to, like, give up on existing uh, <laughs> for Data's sake. Anyway, the last thing is the uh, What Were They Thinking prize, which goes to the writers on this one, because Jeepers, can we get, like, away from this trope forever and, like, bury it and stuff, please? What do they win, Gepwin? They win what, and surprised even modern writers don't have, is reading TV tropes. <laughs> it's all categorized and written down now. It's not difficult to do any research at all. Indeed. <laughs> I'm not exactly criticizing them for not doing research in the 90s before the internet was like fully a thing, but, uh, well, this was the 80s even. But yeah. like, now you don't have any excuse at all not even a thin veneer of one so just uh stop it indeed you know uh so i i guess maybe a uh important thing for all our our, uh, our present and future writers is to check out tv tropes and uh identify all the tropes that kind of suck like yeah. this one that's all we got today, Gepwin. Feel free to take us away or turn us into energy beings or have us die of plasma plague. I don't really care which one at the moment. Yes, thank you all for joining us, and I hope you don't die and become an energy ball too quickly. <laughs> and I hope you'll be here next time for the Galaxy's Favorite Game Show! Next time we get, uh, we've gone from Magic Space Baby to Magic Space Baby Face. Hmm. So uh, you're saying that we're going to have some sort of uh, face on the view screen, eh? Yeah, one of those face things. A giant but, floating uh, head, as it were. Quiet. Yeah, not quite yet. We haven't quite gotten the <laughs> giant floating head. <laughs> well, it is uh, still going to be a little creepy uh, having it look at us like that. Hmm. Hopefully we don't also get trapped in an infinite void of darkness. Yeah, don't, don't get your hopes up. <laughs> so uh, next next time is the episode where silence has lease. Which, um, 
I, it's another one of these. They've they've really front loaded this thing with these these sort of nothing ish episodes. Not a lot's mm-hmm. going on. It's kind of not interesting. They don't explore much. Kind of dull. I guess this next one at least sort of shows off uh, how Picard deals with you know all powerful uh, beings that are uh, not Q. Yeah. Because with Q, he's like, I can kind of goad you occasionally because you kind of have this, uh, you know, uh, personality I can manipulate. But uh, this one's like, I'm just a dick. Mm-hmm. Guard's like, well, in that case, no. <laughs> it, it does sort of start their their trope, gra- vastly expanded by uh, Star Trek Voyager, of uh, when in doubt, blow the ship up. Yes. <laughs> the Janeway Pie Maneuver, I, I uh, recall uh, uh, some folks call it. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, I, I'm also looking forward to uh, the the lengthy career of our friend Haskell as uh, that ki- uh, kicks off in this next episode here. <laughs> and uh, I, I'm uh, hoping for good things for him in the long run. And uh, maybe... Maybe he'll even uh, uh, you know uh, lead some of the Star Trek movies down the road. Uh, yeah, we'll have to see. Yeah, the famous Haskell, who is I'm looking at the Wikipedia page for this, is marked as played by Page does not exist. Whoops. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, and, uh, there's going to be a uh, you know some stuff going on next time, and uh, it this next episode's also not kind to Worf. No. No. <laughs> Yeah, there will be stuff. There will be things. Yes. Some of it will be real. Will you know what it is? Um. Ooh. <laughs> anyway, yeah. Uh, I hope that you will be here next time for giant space baby face in the void of, of eternal night. Next time on Watchers of Tomorrow, giant floating FaceTime. have been listening to Watchers of Tomorrow, a podcast on science fiction media. Find and follow Watchers of Tomorrow on Podbean, YouTube, Spotify, iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, Pocket Cast, Spreader, Digital Podcast, and perhaps many more to come. If you enjoy our podcast, make sure to subscribe for more, and where possible, make sure to rate your experience or leave us a review. You may find Gepwin on youtube.com slash Gepwin and Twitter at Gepwin. You may find me, Dr. Isix, on youtube.com slash Dr. Isix and Twitter at IsixLP. Music is Waveform and Mori's Principle, both by DRKRN. You can also check out the Watchers of Tomorrow Discord channel. Make sure to share the experience with your friends, family, enemies, and alien overlords. If you feel you are suffering from transporter syndrome, please be aware that the next time you step off the transporter, that you, that is now, no longer exists. <laughs>